Welcome back to the What The Fork Happened This Week podcast. This week we've got a Sunderland special with Sunderland returning back to first team action against Gateshead on Saturday. An impending takeover? Or is there a takeover? William's story is still not being quiet. And which Sunderland signings could we potentially see over the next fortnight? Yeah, good. Yeah, good in the circumstances. <laughs> nice to have a game of football back on on Saturday. Uh, so let's start straight from the off. What did you make of the game on Saturday? Um, well, like you say, it was good just to get back to watching a live game of football. Um, typical pre-season game, uh, not pay, played with uh, necessarily any real uh, energy, but uh, a chance to sort of run your eye over certain individuals, certain players, because there's been changes. And um, we've got the likes of Elliot Embleton and Jack Diamond coming to the squad, a few, a few others of the um, younger members of the under-23s, um, Bailey Wright back, of course. Uh, the um, impressive, and I'm, I'm not sure yet how you pronounce his name, but the Kosovan Albanian Swiss centre-half um, who what was impressive in the, the short time he was on the pitch? Um, Will Griggs scoring with his head. So you know there, there, there were some positive things to take from it. I mean, and you know overall we saw what twenty two players, twenty one players. Lee Burge played the whole game, but they they changed things over in the second half. Um, Unfortunate for Embleton to get a knock. I mean, I'm sure he's fine, but what we were, what we did see of him in the time that he was on, he looked bright. Um, I like the way he just sort of just sort of managed to waltz into the box a couple of times. A couple of times, I, I still get the impression um, Sunderland do overplay it. Uh, yeah. I had a conversation with someone at the game that in League One, sometimes you know the ultimate aim is to win the game and don't worry too much about it being pretty, especially so this season. And there were a number of occasions you think, you know, you're trying to play it into the box and play it through the box when perhaps the better option is to sometimes just take a punt, take a shot from outside the box, especially since the Gateshead keeper looked vulnerable as well. So I, I felt that was something perhaps, um, you know, needs working on for the season. Just be a bit braver around the penalty area in terms of taking opportunities. Because I had a conversation with someone about, you know, at this level, if you lose the ball, you'll get it back quickly. It's not like in, in the Premier League or to a certain extent the Championship, where if you lose possession, it's sometimes very difficult to get it back. Yeah. In League One, if you lose possession, you're going to get it back quickly. So I think in that sense, you can be a bit more attack-minded and you can be a bit braver around the penalty area. But, you know, that said, um, you know, what we did see on Saturday, there were some quite, you know, nice performances, some promise, difficult to really judge because the team gets changed around so much. Um, and, and clearly it's an exercise just to get you know matches and fitness into the players um, and it's not long before the first game so it's you know it's difficult to assess how they're going to um, develop what will be the first choice 11 especially with the news today that Conor McLaughlin and Tom Flanagan have been called up by Northern Ireland so they both, yeah. both won't play in the first two games. Sam, if anyone's listening, by the way, from outside of Sunderland, apologies in advance, but this has to be a Sunderland-heavy podcast, and I'm pleased that it is. It's nice to get digging into Sunderland again for a change, but um, 
obviously you, you touched on before, I can't pronounce his name. I cannot pronounce his name for, for love, no money. I'm sure I'll get around to it eventually. But um, left-sided centre-back, you touched on Flanagan there being, being out. But he's really, I mean, I don't know anything about him, but he's really, really highly rated, isn't he, back in his sort of homeland? Um, yes. I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it came out of the blue on Saturday that the... the, the um, Zimalgi, is it? Zimalgi? Zimalgi, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, I can't the X at the start. It just no, it's, work I don't know how... It's Swiss, isn't it? So I don't know how they pronounce the X. Um, you see, Tom Flanagan, I like. I'm, I'm pleased he signed a new contract. Same. Um, I, I think, you know, yes, the season perhaps caught up with him last season. But I think as a, a ball-playing left-sided centre-back, he, he, he he's good. And, and I think when he, um, Willis and Wright are the... I would imagine the first choice three, they would, they, they, you know, I think will look a good, good three. And I think, um, Zermalgi, if he, if he stays, if he is going to be signed, and, and I think he will be, um, with Morgan Feeney as well, who came on in the second half, they've got cover there now and Conor McLaughlin as well. So they've got three players as cover for your principal three centre halves. Um, and from what you know, I've seen of you know um, Jamalji on on Saturday. Saturday, Feeney didn't have a lot great deal to do, so jury's out on him. And Conor McLaughlin, um, you know, when he stepped in, I think more as a centre back than a right back, he's looked okay. Um, and and uh, you know, as a player for cover, if he's going to be on the bench, fair enough. Um, you'd hope that the other three don't get pick up injuries. And on the whole. Um, you know, I think Bailey Wright was unlucky last season to pick up the injury he did. On the whole, they, you know, Willis sailed through the season without really getting any um, serious injury problems. Doesn't look like the sort of player that's going to pick up those niggles that keep you out. Flanagan, less so. I mean, I know he had a few niggles, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, you know, I'm sort of fairly sanguine about the centre back situation. A little bit more worried about the full backs, to be honest. I still don't think they've got. Um, with Denver Hume and Luke O'Neill, they are going to be the first choice pairing again. I'm still not absolutely convinced that they've got two fullbacks um, that are fullbacks. If you see what I mean, in, in the, the or wingbacks, Luke yeah. O'Neill. I think you know, yes, he, he he likes to raid forward and get forwards, and he got forwards on Saturday. But I wonder if he, you know, like a lot of people, would we rather see him in midfield and 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 bring in a more orthodox right back? And Denver Hume again. I like the way he gets forwards, but he does get exposed in you know covering as a left back. Would we be better off seeing a more orthodox left back as well? Um, but you know, time will tell. I think. I mean, there's, there's a limit to how many players they can bring in, obviously, with the salary cap. Now. Yeah, absolutely. And the best thing about the first sort of five ten minutes of this podcast though is that we're actually talking about football when it comes to something. Because <laughs> let's be honest, it hasn't been like that. Not just because of COVID, because of multiple reasons for quite a while. Um, I suppose I've got to come on to it. The, the takeover is huge. I think everyone's discussed it. And um, I spoke to James Copley on the podcast last week, and we sort of discussed maybe from a a fan's perspective the prospect of which I don't think is going to happen. Um, William Story, but. William Story is a man that you've spoken to. Obviously, he did the, I think it was his first interview, I think he did with yourself mm. um, and Simon Pride. Um, he's still kind of not being quiet, which I must be honest, I, I kind of hope that he will be because I don't think there's any serious prospect of it. But I suppose you've got to take you know, take as you see. What did you make of, of, of William Story when you spoke to him? It's an interesting one because um, 
on the day we spoke to William's story, a lot of people say, well, why are you speaking to him? Well, the reason was that afternoon, William's story was the story, if you like. He was all over social media. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah. Um, he was claiming to be a player, uh, someone who was going to be taking over the football club. I think, you know, journalistically then, it, it merited talking to him to find out where he was coming from. Of course. Now, absolutely. what I understand, he's no, you know, he's not, it's, it's just not on the table. He's just not being looked at. It's not happening. But you always have this, I've had conversations at work with other colleagues, you know, you, you always have this suspicion. You're 98% sure it's not it's not happening for this. That little 2%, what if it were to happen? You know, you, you do want to try and cover your bases if you like. But as far as I know, and as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, um, he and Mark Campbell are nowhere near the table in terms of the, the takeover. And I think another thing about William's story is uh, he's just making too much noise. If you are a serious contender, if you like, in terms of taking over a football club or any business, you don't make the sort of noise that William's story is making at the moment. And the comments he's making about what he knows about um, the club situation, it's all in the public domain anyway. He's already, yeah. All he's doing is picking out what everybody knows already and has been and has been spoken about so he's offering nothing new um and as i say he's making a lot of noise he's putting himself about um but and even you know you listen to what he says by his own admission he's he's not at the table you know he's 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 saying he's made offers and he's 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 looking to get um into talks with the club but it's just not happening um and he's not you know he's not and and that's that's that i think um in terms of the takeover itself, of course, there's been lots of talk and speculation. And, um, you know, ever since the period of exclusivity was revealed, and I found out about that, everyone says, well, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Well, clearly, I don't expect to hear anything until um, nearer the time that I was led to believe a deal could be concluded. And that's the start of the season, if not possibly the end of August. And of course, we're coming up towards that time now. Now, I've heard nothing to suggest it's not happening. Um, the football club aren't making any comment on it because I think they don't want to get involved in, basically, as soon as they make any sort of comment, it could be misconstrued, misconstructed, misinformed. They don't want to get into that um, into that ball game, if you like. So they're purposely not making any comment and purposely not making any comment about William's story and staying well clear of it. But there is nothing to suggest that the, the, you know this takeover is not happening i believe it is it's just now waiting and seeing for those dates the start of the season predominantly is to see whether we get any noise if you like from stuart donald to say that something has actually happened just going back to, to william's story and we will go on to that period of exclusivity um but with with william's story i suppose two ways of, to thinking about it really and i can't remember if it was yourself that said it i know somebody did and i think it sums it up really well in his own head he, he's taken something over i don't think it's a case of is he just making noise because that sells his energy drink and puts his names out? There's people that think that. Or do you think he just he genuinely thinks that's going to happen? Because there is also the argument that, and I, I mean, I don't know where Stuart's at at the moment. It's been a long time since I've spoke to him and a long time since he spoke realistically to anyone at any sort of level outside of the Red and White Army meetings. Um, but the thought process is that and from what he said, he'll sell the club to anyone who passes a fit and proper test. That's how I interpreted it. So why would he turn down William's story, whether he's a good owner or a bad owner? Is it just a case of, does he think he's taken over the club in his own head? Or is it a case of William's story 
is not wanted by Stuart Donald to purchase the club? And, and if if not, why not? Like, Interesting. I think, well, I think in my own mind, I think William Story, yes, in his own head, believes he can take over. And uh, he's adamant in what he says that he's got the backing to do so. Fine. Well, well and good. I think the fact that he's um, making all this noise and saying all those things is because he knows that Stuart Donald is currently talking to someone else who is in pole position, it would seem, to take over. Um, and what William Story is, in, is hoping for is that that person that Stuart Donald's talking to doesn't buy in the end, and that leaves him the opportunity to come in himself and, in his own mind, take over. But you mentioned the fit and proper persons and test and the the financial investigation that would need to be done into him. I, I think that you know that doesn't exactly inspire me no. with uh, any particular confidence. And I suspect that that would be very much the view of Stuart Donald, um, in the same way that you know that uh, introspection of Mark Campbell's finances. Um, you know, came to the fore and and, and it fell through. Um, I think William Story would be subject to that same scrutiny. And I think when it comes to Anthony Push to, comes to shove, as we've all seen, you know, the, the, the figures don't seem to add up from his own personal um, bank account. Um, my interpretation of everything is the fact that it's got, that it is very quiet. Um, and the conversations that I had with Stuart Donald before all this broke, um, as you mentioned, the Red and White Army and the fans groups meeting when I last interviewed him and spoke to him, he was adamant that he's going. He couldn't take any investment because any investment that was being offered um, would basically mean he still had to be on the board. So he was, he was turning away investment with a view because he's leaving the club. And I'm, I've, I'm, I've got no reason to believe that that's not still the case. I think that is desperately what he's trying to do is get out um, by hook or by crook. And when he says he'll sell to anybody, I think there are limits to that. He, he clearly won't sell to Mark Campbell. As I understand it, he clearly won't sell to William Story. So I think there you have to take it that, you know, the people, whoever it is he is selling to, have got more um, legitimacy, if you like, than either Mark Campbell or, or William Story. Now, we're, we're a week away from the end of August. We're a couple of weeks away from the start of the season. So fingers crossed something happens in the next fortnight. Uh, I know there's rumours on social media. Some people are saying, oh, they, they understand that talks seem to be going well and that there could be a, a resolution very soon. Now, I don't know where those rumours are emanating from, but you know, I, I'd agree that I would hope that by the end of the month or the start of the season, something does happen or something is said or we get a much clearer idea of what's actually happening. It's so maybe wishful thinking from maybe a lot of Sunderland fans' side, but obviously... <laughs> Ready to go in Sunderland forums and the internet is not always the best place to read rumours, but needless, we need, we need to address some of them. I think one of them well, last week was that, I think it was Glenn Furman was in town and there's still that, still people still harbour the hope that FFP are, are going to take over. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, but would you be surprised if this takeover had something to do with um, the Americans as they became known and, and maybe Satori? No, no, not personally, because I think... Um, I think increasingly FPP have been on the scene. They've always been in, in the background at, at Sunderland. And um, with the increasing interest they're taking in English football, Derby County, Southampton, yeah. Sunderland, albeit under different names, it's the same people. Um, I, I you know, think because they've had contact for over a year with Sunderland, 
Um, yes, I think there, there, there could well be some sort of link with the Americans. Now, uh, this is my own opinion. It's not something based entirely on, you know, uh, supposition. It's just based on the fact that they are, they are players at Sunderland. They're involved. They've got money invested in the football club. Um, and as I say, the increasing interest they're taking in English football, um, it would make sense for them still to be involved. So I wouldn't be at all surprised. And I think also because um, I was led to believe that the deal that Stuart Donnell is putting together to sell wouldn't be um, the financial side of it, the due diligence side of it, won't be presenting anybody too many problems, which suggests which suggests it's someone who's already had some sort of um, involvement in Sunderland to, to see, the, see the books, if you like, which again suggests the Americans. Um, and I know a lot has been said about Juan Satori and um, his father-in-law at Monaco, and I wouldn't be too surprised if there is some you know, there could possibly be, you know, money from Monaco involved as well. But as I say, I don't know. It's my sort of gut intuition on that one. But going back to what you're saying about the Americans, yes, I, I personally think that there could, in you know, down the line, if not now, be some sort of involvement from them. Um, but, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll find out. Yeah, wait and see indeed. Um the only reason it made me think it could potentially be someone, and you've presented a lot of good arguments there for why it could be someone who's already involved due to their due diligence as well. Um, and I'm no mind reader, and I'm certainly not a psychologist, but Phil Parkinson looks very relaxed for a man that could potentially have a new chairman to answer to in the, in the coming weeks, which potentially means that anyone who's due to come in feels like keeping Parkinson in. Um, I suppose it's guesswork, but do you do you think that Parkinson is going to be the man to lead the season in if there is a takeover? Do you think that kind of adds fuel to the fire that it could be someone like the Americans or Satori? Well, it's always difficult, like you. you, know, you, you we just don't know. But I mean, yeah. when Phil Parkinson was asked about the takeover after the game on Saturday, he was very relaxed about it. Um, I mean, he wouldn't talk specifically about the takeover itself. But you know, he's, he, he said it doesn't affect; it's not affecting in any way his preparations for the season. Um, you know, he, I mean, the biggest thing that's affecting him at the moment is the salary cap. But he's, mm-hmm. you know, was very relaxed about the, you know, the whole takeover or even being asked about it. Um, so you know, he didn't look like a man whose sort of um, face became creased with sort of uh, irritation or sort of angst when talked you know that that issue is brought up because you know as everybody knows takeovers you often find new owners want new people in charge but to all intents and purposes it looks like Phil Parkinson will be in charge in two weeks time and for the beginning of the season after that it's down to the performance on the pitch isn't it if they're if they're winning games you know whoever is in whoever owns the club you'd be foolish to change the manager if you're in a position that you know you're in a position of strength if you are winning games different story if um, you know the season doesn't start as well as everybody hopes, but you know, fingers crossed, um, they do start well, and we get some sort of stability on that front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, still on the takeover, uh, there's been a lot made about Stuart Donald's asking price, um, which is, I think, many many people think far far inflated for the football club that he currently holds and owns. Um, are we assuming then that whoever's got that period of exclusivity is met that asking price? Don't know. I mean, I'm. I, I don't know the legal size, the ins and outs of period of exclusivity. I can only assume that it just means that that is the that, that, that Stuart Don's only talking to one group. Now, I'm assuming that if it's talking to one group, that group may well be saying the asking price is too high. Yeah. Um. 
you know, it, it, if, if it's the group he wants them wants to buy, you'll hope they'll reach the price, I suppose. But I mean, my guess, and it is only guesswork, is that will be one part of the discussion. Um, because of course, you know, periods of exclusivity, I don't know how long they necessarily last, but if they come to an end and there's no agreement, then presumably it opens the door to other bidders. That is, you know, that's the process. Um, but you know, I think it was it was it's been well versed that the, the asking price is probably too high, um, and that's presumably down to the interested party to thrash out the deal if that's what you know if there are serious bidders, um, and you know down the line Stuart Donner's got to think about the best interests of not only himself but of the football club as well and whoever's taking control. There was a, a rumour the other day, again, another internet rumour. You've got to love the internet, because um, before that, I think it was just, what was it? Um, was it What did they used to call that thing on Teletext? It was a call, uh, when you used to call in to get the rumours and pay a £5 a minute. Oh. Um, I think they were probably slightly more reliable, but one of them was um, that Stuart Donald had turned down £35.7 or something like that. Um, to your knowledge, is there any substance to that, or is that just literally rumour? I just... I, I... Just don't know. I, yeah. I saw it, um, and I couldn't tell you one way, one way or the other whether that was true or not. Um, you know, it's interesting to know where these rumours are sparked off from because you know I'm having no contact whatsoever with Stuart Donald or you know anybody at the football club is is not talking about the takeover. So you wonder where you know if, if there are these leaks, you wonder where they are. Um, so you know it it could be true might not be true. Um, I think in these circumstances, you know, a bit of patience, I'd urge a bit of patience really, you know, we've, we've been given a sort of date and I would hate, I think, you know, I would like to see though that date come and go and see where we are then yeah. as to, to, you know, progress or otherwise in, in, in those terms. It's fantastic the way rumours can work. I mean, the one the other week was with, uh, with William Story, of course, going into, I think it was the Port of Core or, um, uh, it was poetic license to tell a lie, um, and Jack Rodwell, uh, sorry, um, Rodwell following Jim, Jim Rodwell, even total, apparently total coincidence, absolute total, total coincidence. coincidence. Jim was horrified yeah. when he saw it, but I mean, that's you know, that is that William Story engineering these things because he knew that Jim Rodwell would have been up that week because he's staying um, in that area, I just believe. And I think it was literally well, I, I know that was complete coincidence. He's, he's staying in that okay. area and walked in like yeah. two minutes afterwards, so it's. Yeah, it's maybe William's story just fantastic at self-promotion because you've got to give him it. Well, he's very, he's clearly very good at that. I mean, I half expected to see him outside the, the international stadium on Saturday, you know, and, and with photographs all around. Um, I, I'm, you know, puzzled, perplexed as to what his, what he's aiming for. If he's aiming for publicity for his energy drink, he's only going to get publicity in the northeast and a very small parochial sort of way, if you like, for, you know, what he claims to be a multi-million pound industry. So, you know, confirmed West Ham fan running around in the Sunderland top and making lots of noise, as I say. And But all the while I'm thinking, as you said before, is it all in his head? Is he a bit of a fantasist? Is he a genuine player? We don't know the, the backers. We don't know ultimately and he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't reveal them. You know, he says the NDA forbids him from doing that. But at the same time, he's being extremely vocal for someone who says there's an NDA. So, I, I, it, it, you know, it doesn't, in lots of ways, make a great deal of sense. But I think, you know, you just think in, in the circumstances, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. 
No, no, I, I don't think so either. And I think, I suppose the NDA, you've got to look at what does that NDA include, but it's very easy for him to say everything apart from the important things that we want to actually mm. hear um, and say, oh, well, I can't, I can say that because that's not included in the NDA, but but this is, and it's, I think it's, I think it's a little bit too easy to kind of do what he's doing at the moment. It's a lot of noise without actually saying anything, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, I think, I think a lot of people, and look, I mean, the interesting thing is that um, we're in the situation where a lot of fans want Stuart Donald out fine um, yeah. no problem with that at all and um Stuart Donald himself has said that he's getting out right we, we take these as the, the facts um now there's a lot of speculation that it's not happening there's no takeover and it's just another whim from Stuart Donald just to try and buy time uh well ultimately it could be I don't know but we've got to take some things as facts and from my understanding there is there is a you know, there are takeover talks taking place from what I've heard from within the club in the sense they won't talk about it. Um, and the fact, I think, you know, many will remember when you look back to the takeover by Stuart Donald, we knew nothing about it until it happened. It was all quiet. And I just think I'm more inclined to to believe things are happening when things are quiet than, than when there's a lot of noise. Um, I think if you're, you know, genuinely a businessman and you genuinely... Um, looking to spend millions, and we're talking millions of pounds. The last thing you want to, is this banded around publicly. Um, all those sort of deals take place behind closed doors. So, in that sense, um, you know, I think you just have to, you know, have to have an element of trust, if you like, that this is happening. Um, and I use that word patience again. Urge that, you know, until the end of the month or the beginning of the season, which was the cutoff time that was given, then then we can start um, agitating again, if you like, after that, if nothing has happened. Um, and, and probably rightly so. I think there's no problem with that. And I've got no problem with uh, fans' concerns. I understand why fans are, um, are worried and they're concerned and they're not hearing anything because, you know, the last few years haven't been great and the position that's under at the minute is, is wretched. Um, and everybody's just, you know, desperate for some good news. Um, I think when it comes to to Sunderland as well at the moment, talking about people being quiet, I think if it's one person that's been quiet for about two years, Juan Satori seems to be quite good at it. So hopefully he's getting hold of his his dad and his billionaire friends to, to take us over. But um, on the plain side, which is obviously the bit we all really, really care about ultimately, um, we touched on a few of the new players that have came in. Obviously we signed Remy Matthews, came in uh, last week alongside uh, Feeney. I still think we need to push on with a few more signings. I'm absolutely with you on on the the fullback positions. I think at the very least we could do with some backup, even if he's going with first team, so to push them. And it seems like he's very much doing that on the left hand side. But one person that no one's actually touched on whatsoever, and I think no one was surprised to not see him there on the game on Saturday. But Aidan McGeady must be on a fair wedge now that we've got those restrictions. Where is Aidan McGeady's career at, at the moment when it comes to something? Well, uh, yeah, interesting one. Um... Um, while you're touching on about players, I mean, Phil Parkinson confirmed at the weekend, yeah, they are looking at Danny Graham and hoping to bring him in. So, fingers crossed, you know, that might be another one in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, McGeady, at the moment, is not training because he's had, the, obviously, the extended season with Charm. Mm-hmm. Um, my feeling is, um, when he comes back, I think Phil Parkinson will look to move him out on loan again. I think... Um, Parkinson bringing in Elliot Embleton and Jack Diamond as well um, and giving them a pathway into the first team 
probably puts a bit of a squeeze on McGeady as well. And I think bearing in mind last season and the scenario that unfolded, um, I think it would be uncomfortable, for want of a better word, McGeady coming back in to that environment. It was interesting, I spoke to Aidan O'Brien after the game on yeah. Saturday and bearing in mind Lewis Morgan's remarks the other week in his interview about all the cliques at the football club and the cliques in the dressing room, Aidan O'Brien was at pains to point out that there, doesn't, that there don't appear to be any groups within the dressing room um, you know, since his arrival. And he's not been here long, but he was very, you know, he said that was one thing that he was very mindful of because when he got promoted with Millwall from League One into the Championship, that was one um, very pertinent thing about the Millwall dressing room. There were no cliques in it. And he yeah. says that's what he's found at Sunderland. So, you know, if, if you know, there, there was a lot of speculation about McGeady last season, the influence he was having in the dressing room, which was sort of, um, you know, the, the fire was stoked by Lewis Morgan on, in, in that respect. Um, so I, I just feel that I think Phil Parkinson would probably feel, and I, and I suspect Aidan McGeady may well feel that it could be, you know, slightly uncomfortable. And, and my gut feeling is that McGeady will be probably, you know, that they will try and loan him out again this season. I might be wrong. I think McGeady would be quite prepared to come back and play, no question. Um, I think, you know, he and his family are quite settled here. So, you know, they, they, if, if he does come back and he's in the squad, well and good. Um, but I just think that with the way the squad's developing and the numbers, um, it's, it, it might be unlikely. It's interesting you mentioned Lewis Morgan. I was going to come on to that because, um, and I must say, you know, the, the pod god that he is, Cy Ferre, I absolutely love his show, but I actually found myself clenching my fists as I was watching that Lewis Morgan, um, specifically his Sunderland bit. Um, there seemed to be almost like a hero worship in there of, of Aidan McGeady, which is a little bit weird. And you mentioned about Catamore and, and how they didn't speak. Now, I can't claim to know Lee Catamore, but, you know, I'm sure just like you, I've, I've had a few conversations with him. And the one thing I can say about Lee Catamore, he's the most professional man um, that I've probably ever spoken to from a, a footballer perspective and doesn't seem like to be the kind of person that would not speak to another individual or let what Lewis Morgan said was going on. Now, on the flip side, obviously, I've had Mark McNulty on the show. I've had a few players that I've played with, with Aidan McGeady, uh, and they've all been pretty much said, you know, nothing actually happened. It was a case of Parkinson didn't get on with McGeady and, that, and that's it. And that sometimes happens and that's a totally normal, natural thing. But then Morgan's comments make you think, well, hang on a moment. But they were also a little bit disrespectful, sounded a little bit hero worshipy from from my liking. Um, where do you think the truth is with Aidan McGeady? Somewhere in the middle? Yeah, probably is, I think. I think McGeady's, um, he is an intelligent guy. I mean, Chris Maguire's comments about him on the club podcast yeah. last week when he said that, you know, McGeady's an intelligent, intelligent man. He is. Allegedly so. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, well, when you speak to him, he's very, very intense. He's very intelligent. He's, he, um, I mean, he is utterly sort of driven to, to, you know, try and do well. Um, and clearly I think it, Lewis Morgan's comments, for instance, about McGeady coming to the dressing room after the, well, M Morgan said the Burton game, in fact, it was the Accrington Stanley game. And, um, yeah you know, telling the younger players that they, they, they or, or having a go at the players for, you know, sort of um, withering in front of the criticism from the, from the fans. And, you know, but I, I've spoken to a couple of players since then. Stephen Elliott was one. We had a conversation last week. It happens in dressing rooms all the time. You come off the pitch, it's not been good. And one of the players will just turn around and, and in 
generally without singling anybody out say look if you I think McGeady's of the at the stage in his career where this is the level league one he's probably going to end his career now but you know there are players in that dressing room who are you know potentially looking at long careers now at a higher level and I think his comments taken out of context by Lewis Morgan and more generally fired out in the dressing room after the game at you know the younger players to say I'm not going anywhere now but you can but if you are going to go anywhere you've got to learn how to deal with the pressure of these situations which is again something that Chris Maguire touched on in his podcast last week he made the very same point but there's not been a hue and cry about Chris Maguire's comments but because I think McGeady seen as a bad boy then his context is sometimes taken and um, blown out of proportion. I think, you know, um, if Kevin Ball or Roy Keane had made the same comments, he, they'd, they'd be applauded. Because it's Aidan McGeady, the image he's got, in the same way that Lee Catamol had an image as a bad boy on the pitch. But actually, you know, over the last couple of seasons in, in League One, when he was, he, he wasn't actually picking up that many yellow cards, let alone red cards. So you, you do, you know, their their sort of um, their image does sort of sometimes go before them, and I think perhaps sometimes unfairly. I think sometimes you forget players like Catamol, like McGeady. They've been around a long time. They've come from, you know, you know, um, very sort of um, demanding on themselves backgrounds, if you like, and they um, all they want is that from others. You know, yeah. they want to see that commitment from. And you only had to hear Catamol on the pitch, where he used to scream and shout and cajole because they just want the best. They want the others, you know, to, to lift their game, if you like. Yeah, and the thing is with McGeady, I mean, my, again, I've never been in a, a football dressing room as a player, so I'm talking from no experience at all. But with McGeady, someone who's played in the Champions League, played Premier League, played for Celtic, won leagues, won divisions, you'd want to absorb that kind of information from McGeady. And I, I don't think... I think if Lewis Morgan's comments were to make it sound like McGeady was like hard done by or uh, was the best player in the dressing room, and we, like, you know, the whole the rest of the club was a waste of time outside of Aiden McGeady, I think I think he's done it in the wrong way because I think I think Aiden would have probably been quite upset with hear those comments because I think it came across the wrong way. And you said before, I think the context which Lewis Morgan's taken is is completely incorrect. Um, do you, do you think that if it was, should I say put it this way, um, Lewis Morgan's comments were, were ill-advised and do, do you agree with them at all? Do you think there's any substance in them? Um, I don't think they're ill-advised. I think he he he, um, he did a podcast with a former player. I think, you know, um, sometimes players in that environment get sort of lulled into this false sense of security, if you like, feel that they're chatting to a mate and they probably speak a bit more openly than they probably would if it was you or I doing the interview. And I think, um, I think Simon Ferry is a very good friend of Aidan McGee's actually, but yeah, um, I think so. you yeah. know, from what I can gather, people you know speak a lot about Simon Ferry in Scotland. And um, I just think that Lewis Morgan, you know, I think, made some comments which didn't really weren't really thought through uh, I think he undermined himself in a sense when he made those comments about Wembley in the playoff final being told several days before the final that he wasn't playing and yet on the day of the final his head wasn't right and he wasn't ready to come on I just think you know when you make comments like that as a professional footballer you're almost you're undermining the comments you're making about Aidan McGeady you know on the one hand you're talking about Aidan McGeady and you're saying he's this and he's that 
but that was demonstrating that McGee's got very high standards. At the same time as you're admitting yourself, that your standards are nowhere near that because you couldn't get your head right to come off the bench at Wembley in a playoff final, which at that point in Lewis Morgan's career must be one of the biggest games he's ever played in. So I find yeah. that, you know, um, slightly disingenuous, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, last point on Sunderland, which is probably going to go down a, a real rabbit hole here. So we'll, we'll, we'll say it's the last point, but it probably won't be. But um, I'll openly hold my hands up and say I think Danny Graham would be a good signing. Um, I, I don't see any problem with it. I know it's not future-proof because he's 35 now, I think. Um, but I mean, Blackburn Rovers fans have raved about him in a division above for the past few seasons. And I think um, I think he's a step up on what we've got. That I could be wrong. I could be right. That's football. But um, that seems like it's, it's edging closer. He even spoke about it on his own Instagram page. He said he, he doesn't know, which to me is football to speak for. We'll, we'll soon see. Then Parkinson's comments as well. How close is Danny Graham, do you think? Um, I, I think he probably is close. And I think I've got no problem with him for this season. I mean, no. he said his, his, age, his age, I think... Ultimately, this season, Sunderland have got to get promotion. And I think you do it by hook or by crook. And if Danny Graham is going to, um, you know, score goals for Sunderland at this level, which is there's nothing to suggest he won't, as you say, is, you know, from his record at Blackburn, I think you can you can just forget his last time here in the Premier League. It, it, it was a while ago and, the, you know, the circumstances are so changed so and different. so different. So, so different. That you, you, I don't think you can use that as a benchmark or a barometer. No, um, but I think, you know, I, I would lose no sleep in signing Danny Graham, even if it's only a season deal. Um, you want to try and find, I mean, bearing in mind, it's quite obvious that Sunderland aren't going to spend any money on transfer fees this summer. Um, you know, the opportunity to sign someone of his experience when strikers are so sought after, I, I would take him. Um, it, it might be a gamble but it's a gamble that could well pay off. Um, and I think it's one that they've, you know, I'd certainly buy into if it means that Sunderland can get promotion this season. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. If he scores 15, 20 goals this season and Sunderland go up, you know, job done, we we could pay a million pounds for another version of a Charlie White or we can have a Danny Graham who's proven on a free at this, well above this level. But that does bring into question the likes of, I think I thought Greg looked good on Saturday, but it's one game and it's five months since we played. I want to see that consistently. Um, but Charlie White came in for a lot of criticism, which I must admit, I think on the flip side, after five months, no game time, maybe a little unfair, but that was like glaring opportunity that he, I still don't know how he missed. But where does that leave his future if you bring in Danny Graham as Charlie White then suddenly striker number two? Probably. Um, but I think you're, you know, you live or die by the sword, don't you, as a footballer? If you're not producing the goods, why would you expect to be in the first team and I think you know you remember Will Griggs comments earlier in the summer about you know he couldn't understand why he wasn't playing well it, it's not rocket science he wasn't he doing it so you, <laughs> exactly you're on the bench um, if, if Charlie White and I accept you're absolutely right it was the first game of you know pre-season uh, I, he, I did, he didn't for me um, stamp any sort of authority on the game bearing in mind you know his his height and presence um, are, are Cost of an Albanian Swiss friend imposed more authority on the game than than, than Charlie, but um, yeah, and and that sort of weak sort of finish didn't inspire you sort of with confidence. Um, but you know, as you said, it's the first game. But I do think if Danny Graham comes in, he will probably be ahead of Charlie White 
in the pecking order at the moment, um, depending on how he performs, I suppose, in pre-season and in, in training. But, um, you know, Phil Parkinson, any manager has always said, you you always want cover in every position. And I think every player has got to accept that there should be someone behind them who wants their place in the, in the team. And that's, you know, tantamount on that player in the team then to maintain their form to stop that person getting in the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, with... With that in mind, Sunderland need that strength and depth this season. Um, and gradually, I think we're seeing that they're starting to fulfil that with the you know, the players that are coming in in drips and drabs at the moment, but they are slowly but surely coming in. I think um, you touched on before that you don't think we'll spend money on a, a transfer fee. I, I wish we would, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, you know, when you're looking at a League One season, Every single pre-season, it's a bunch of loan signings and free transfers across the board. That's, you know, adding to the fact you've got the salary cap this year as well. Um, but I still think, and you've touched on the wingers before, I think I think we're quite weak in midfield. Um, I, I think we still need someone strong and powerful in the middle. So I still think we could do with a few more bodies. How many players do you expect someone to at least try and bring in before the season starts? Well, I agree with you about midfield totally. I think that there's, there's nobody at the moment, for, to my mind, stamps any sort of sort of real authority no, in, in the centre. Um, Phil Parkinson said, what, two, three weeks ago that he was looking to bring in seven players, seven or eight players. Um, they brought in, what, three, four now, is it? Bailey Wright, uh, Feeney, four, Matthews, yeah. O'Brien, yeah, four. So we're looking at three more. If Danny Graham's... One of them, that's five. Um, I think you're probably right about a left-sided player, probably be six, and possibly someone else in midfield, seven. Now, we haven't you know, looked at the two full-backs, you know, whether there's going to be full-back cover as well, so it could even be you know, eight. But then are, are we then saying, are we looking at seven permanent signings and maybe two, bones. three low signings and then you've got to balance the squad because the number, number of players you can have over the age of 21 or whatever and so on and, and, and yeah. so that, you know, that'll have to be taken into account as well um, but I think we could see seven permanents and maybe a couple of loan signings Do you think the deals for uh, Garbutt's completely dead due to the salary cap? Do you think that's just Yes, done? I think I, I, I think it's wages from what I understand the wages is the stumbling block Um you know, suddenly Sunderland have found their wage um, scale heavily restricted. Um, and I think players like Garbutt, who are, who are moving from a Premier League club, um, of his, his, his experience, unlike Feeney, I think wages are going to be a, an issue. Do you think if it wasn't I mean, it would be nice to think cap. it's not, but I, I think yeah, realistically, it yeah, I think totally it is. is. Do you think that would have been quite close? Do you think Garbutt was kind of up for joining Sunderland? Had it not been I, I think he, I, I certainly think he, he would have been. He'd have been interested. I mean, you've been, you know, if, if you're um, professional football, you wouldn't. Why wouldn't you be interested? I mean, look at the size of the club. So I think that interest was, was you know, certainly there. Um, but I, you know, it's, I think when you look when you look at. Um, Charlie Good leaving Northampton for Brentford for a million pounds. And, yeah. you know, suddenly the the landscape is changing because getting out of League One now into the Championship is is getting as hard as getting out of the Championship into the Premier League. It's, it's, it's you know, it really is dog-eat-dog. And, um, you know, there are some, I think it's going to be a difficult season because I think there'll be clubs like Peterborough, arguably Oxford, Ipswich, Portsmouth. It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be tough at the top, you know, Charlton possibly. 
um, with now that they're sort of starting to settle down a bit with the ownership issue and so on. And Wigan, again, you know, they yeah, they course. they come through this whole ownership issue situation. Um, you know, there's, there's that's seven or eight clubs who are probably much of a muchness. It's going to be and Barnsley even. So it's it's going to be you know it's going to be tough. There's no question. And I'm not sure at the moment. Sunderland are showing that they're head and shoulders above anybody else. I think it's very. It is a looking like a quite a level playing field. I suppose my my final question then with Sunderland would be um, what what is your what is your hopes and thoughts and, and I'm I'm thinking head rather than heart here because I know both with our heart we're both going to win the league. But um, <laughs> with with head, how do you how do you feel Sunderland are going to get on? And I know we still got a few weeks and potentially a few more signings, but it's make or break, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is make or break this season because they don't. You, you know, the, the the sort of thought of a fourth season in League One um, is just just terrifying. And I think my gut feeling is that you know the last two seasons, while they've been disappointing in terms of the way they finished, Sunderland were there or thereabouts in both seasons. Um, and I I don't think there's any reason to think that they won't be again this season. Um, now, by where that there or thereabouts. Do I mean automatic promotion come third or fourth finish or sixth or seventh, you know, finish and, and playoffs all the way? I don't know. I think it's I think there are some teams, you know, Peterborough historically always fly out the blocks but fall away. Um I think Blackpool have got, you know, they've made some astute signings. They may again start really well and fall away. Um I think Sunderland have got to show that sort of uh, stubbornness that they've shown the last couple of seasons of being just steady, steady, steady. But they've got to add something to their game to make sure that those games which they sort of narrowly won or drew, they have to win them more convincingly. Um, take 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 games like um, Fleetwood. You know the fact they've never beaten Fleetwood. Yeah. That is something they've got to address. They've got to they've got to beat Fleetwood at home, and they've got to go and beat Fleetwood away. Those are the games that, crucially, when it comes down to it, will be the games that determine where you finish in terms of the promotion places. I think with the uh, the stadium and things like that, do you think there's a lot made about Sunderland fans, and we are expectant, rightly so, especially in this division, we should be. Do you think that will help or hinder having no fans for the first few games? It's really odd. I, it, it's, I, I think it clearly had an impact on teams um, who finished the season in the Championship and the Premier League. I mean, I'm thinking predominantly here, Brentford, for instance. Yeah. I think if Brentford had had, um, you know, they'd been able to have the crowds in at Griffin Park for their last couple of games or even that Barnsley game, bearing in mind... Uh, it was uh, Brentford's last game at Griffin Park. They only had to get a point against Barnsley. Had there been crowd in there, I think it would have made a difference for them. Um, so, yes, it's going to be the same for everybody, obviously. But I do feel um, it's it's going to make a difference to teams um, at the start when there isn't anybody in the ground. I think it's going to be, it's going to be surreal. It's going to be very strange and it's very difficult. Um, I think this is where psychology and football comes to the fore. I think those teams that have got a very strong mentality will could possibly take advantage in this situation. Um, and that's something Sunderland, I think, have got to address. I think uh, I think Nick Allenby is someone who will be very much across that as the fitness coach and 
Um, he's very into those psychology. Um, I think, you know, that this opening month of the season could be where you really do sort of lay down a marker. Um, if you can come through strongly games when there are no crowds and build up some sort of momentum, then I think it puts you in a very, very good position going into October when the crowds start coming back in. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's going to be a weird situation. And I do think, like you said before, October sounds about the right sort of time. So um, what what we'll do is we'll, I've got a couple of questions from Twitter and we'll, we'll end on that because there's been, been a couple of them. Um, most of them about the takeover, of course. I think we've covered that. We're going to be rich come October, I think you said. We've got a billionaire coming in, Nick. Is that right? That'll be all over Twitter later, don't we? <laughs> I'm going to turn Twitter off, I think, once I've done this. Um, actually, there's a, a really, really good question here. Um, do you think the str- squad is stronger or weaker than last time around? Good question. I think at the moment it's weaker. Um, but I think um, going back to what we were talking about earlier about the centre-backs, I, I think now that's looking much, much more healthy. The two keepers, okay, it's their League One. Um, I, I think you've got two competent keepers. Yeah. Um, if Danny Graham comes in for the reasons that we were talking about earlier, fine. If Grig, if the promise we saw from Saturday's Cameo, um, if that grows, if that gets better or if that carries on, yeah, that's got to be a positive. Uh, Lyndon Gooch, Chris McGuire, uh, Elliot Embleton, Jack Diamond. I think, you know, it's beginning to look like we could be uh, looking at a stronger squad. I don't say significantly stronger um, because of the... um, the few areas that you and I mentioned before, central midfield, for instance. Yeah. But I think um, there's a balance, much more of a balance to it than perhaps they had last season. Um, and with a couple more signings, then I would feel a little bit more optimistic. And I think it's crucial then that they start well. I think that's the other, I think that's the other caveat to all this. I think, you know, whatever happens, it's got to be a good start. I don't want that's to be coming good. away from the Stadium of Light on, on September the 12th talking about a Jack Baldwin winner for Bristol Rovers. Um, you know, I want to see Sunderland, you know, start the season, you know, with a solid win over Bristol Rovers to take into what are, you know, the next four games are very tough games with, you know, the, bearing in mind what we said Hard about start. who could be involved in the, in the, in the um, promotion uh, stakes. With them, um, with, the Jack Diamonds you talked about before. Uh, those rumours going around that Harrogate were looking to bring him back on loan. I don't feel like that's going to happen. Is he very much? No, I think I think I think that's largely come from the Harrogate manager, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, Paul Thurwell's there now, of course. As yeah. Um I think you know, looking at what comments Phil Parkinson's made about Jack and Elliot, I think you know they are in the first team squad now. Um, and what we saw of them on, or certainly Jack on Saturday, I liked. Um, I, I think I think the the noise about um, Jack going back to Harrogate is being largely generated by Harrogate rather than by Sunderland. So I think you know now is an opportunity for Jack, um, and especially when you know we only today there's been lots of talk about Benji Kipioka. He's in Sweden. He's he's sort of making noises about um, keep on using that word noises. Uh, um, talking about um, you know the attraction of a the, the, the contract. 
this is an opportunity, as a few people have pointed out, where Jack Diamond can steal a march on Benji Kimpioka. He's here, he's playing pre-season, he's, start, or he's involved in the games. Um, this is a big opportunity for Jack. And I'm, I'm sort of minded to think Phil Parkinson's prepared to give him that opportunity. Um, and Elliot as well, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Jack will, will be part of the, the setup. That was one of the questions as well about um, Benji, obviously, the news today. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never been enamoured by Benji Kimpioka. I think if you got anything about yourself, you would have been in the first team by now. And there's a lot of, and I'll, I'll say the same as you, a lot of noise coming from him about, you know, how he wants to stay on and stuff like that. And I think his agent has a lot of speak, um, so it seems. But do you think with that one, it's just dead in the water? Do you think there's any point in trying to give him a contract? Or is there some more hassle in it's worth? Because it does to me. Uh, it's, it's a difficult one because you wouldn't want to. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be sitting here in two years' time and saying, "Oh, well, we let Benji Kimpioka go." Exactly. And he turns out to be having a you know world beater. Um, but at the same time, like you, he's not really proved to me in the sort of short bursts we've seen of him that he's got. Anything than this sort of explosive um, hand grenade-like quality that you don't know what he's going to give. You know, you just don't know what Benji's going to do for you on the pitch. Um, and I know he's frustrating in that sense for the coaches because they're trying to coach him and tell him to do things, and he's doing the opposite or not doing it. And and the conversations I've had with um, various scouts or coaches from other clubs who, who obviously come to the academy light when they're behind closed doors games. They've, they've not been wildly complimentary about him, um, even if in terms of whether he, if he was made available for loan, whether they would take him or not. So I I wouldn't, you know, if I had to put, you know, at the moment I would say I wouldn't lose any sleep if Benji didn't sign. Yeah, same. Um, and I mean, hopefully, you know, he, he does go on to, whether it be in Sunderland or not, I, I don't wish the, the guy any ill, but it just seems at the no. moment, from a shoot, a, a a purely Sunderland point of view as we speak on the 24th of the 8th 2020 um, in case this comes back to bite me on the arse um, it seems much ado about nothing doesn't it? Yeah I just think if you're now in pre-season two weeks away from the start of the season talking about money and contracts I think your mind's in the wrong place I think you should yeah. be talking about the football uh, and wanting to play football and wanting to get back playing football um, and so that sits, that's why I think it sits a little bit uneasily with me actually at the moment. Yeah, same. Absolutely. I, I echo everything you've just said there, 100%. Um, last question. It comes from uh, Jay Herra, 18. We're kind of touching it already, but I'll, I'll kind of throw the end of his question at you. Um, talking about that exclusivity talk about, uh, that was like three weeks ago, I think. And he said mm. there's not been much of an update since, which we've kind of covered anyway. But he says, do you think it could just be Donald using... Uh, using yourself and other people to feed fans false information because he feels that he's done that in the past, or do you think there's credence behind it? Um, it I, I just still come back to the um, conversation I had with Stuart Donald at the Stadium of Light that day. You know, I did that interview with him, um, and obviously I spoke to him after that as well. Uh, he was adamant that he's getting out, adamant that he's not. Um, going to stay around. He's, 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 he's even had to change his telephone number because of um, the, the abuse he'd been getting on the, on his old number. Um, and so I think the fact that it's, it has been quiet and nothing's coming out, as I said before, doesn't surprise me. I just don't think it's... Um, I think that is, you know, I would argue that's common practice. I think, you know, any club that's taken over, it's if you start 
uh, as the club themselves are saying, and they don't want to make any comment because they don't don't want things to be taken out, you know, misconstrued. And I think that's one good reason for not saying anything and for the and for the silence. Um, my gut instinct still is that uh, he will be leaving and the club will be sold. And I think it's, I mean, I said this a long time ago, I think it's best for everybody concerned. I think it was right they came in and the time was right for new owners of Dallas Shaw. It, it reached a point where um, it was a rock bottom that needed a change. And I think that is the case again now. Um, to move forwards, it needs a change. It needs fresh input. It needs new um, investment. It needs new faces um, to change the, the, the dynamic, to change the storyline, to, I think, reinvigorate, if you like, again. Um, it's like the doctor and the TARDIS, isn't it? You know, it's like it, the doctor has to go through his, this sort of uh, process. I think Sunderland Football Club do as well. It's just neat. And now is that time. It, it, it has to happen. I think, And I think Stuart Don is very mindful of that, you know, like him, loathe him, hate him, think he's a charlatan, think he's a cheat, whatever. Um, you know, I think there is a process taking place and that in the next few weeks that hopefully then that will engender some sort of change. Yeah, hopefully. Mick, thanks so much for joining me, mate. And fingers crossed when we're speaking next time, we're talking about, you know, in my opinion, a new owner and, and a couple of wins as well and, and fans hopefully back in the stadium. But um, pleased to see you doing well. Please, football's back. And uh, thanks as always for the updates, mate. Thank you. No problem at all. Good. Pleasure. Spot on. Crazy mother.